starting at Revelation 6 verse 1. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man, free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. 
from the tribe of Gad, 12,000, from the tribe of Asher, 12,000, from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000, from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000, from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000, from the tribe of Levi, 12,000, from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000, from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000, from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000, from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in the front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So far. Thanks, Christine. Uh, Keep your Bibles open. We're going to work our way through all of what we've read uh, in as much detail as we can manage. And so you'll be well served if you can follow along uh, as I won't read everything that we're going to go through. Let me pray and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we read uh, in these verses beautiful things uh, and terrible and shocking things as well. And we pray that through all of them you would speak to us. Father, help us to hear well. May your spirit open our ears and our hearts to hear your voice speaking to us. May you show us your will and your ways. May you show us your son Jesus in his glory and the salvation and security that we have in him. May you glorify yourself as we study these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, When I was a kid, I've got a very distinct memory of being uh, a young kid, maybe eight or nine, uh, and standing in the kitchen with mum and and looking out the kitchen window and I remember being quite worried and asking her, uh, mum, is the world ending? Uh, It wasn't just a completely random question, it wasn't just out of the blue. Uh, The reason I asked that was a a war had just started somewhere in the world, I can't remember if it was the Gulf War or war in, in Bosnia, 
Uh, the, the US were involved, Australia was getting involved and the news was full of pictures of what was happening. There were missiles being launched and planes and helicopters dropping bombs and, and tanks rolling through streets. And as a young kid, that, that worried me, that concerned me, those pictures. Uh, I knew that the end of the world was going to be a, a dark and terrible time. And so the conclusion I'd come to was, it must be now. Is the world ending? Uh, I can't remember what Mum said. Um, I'm pretty certain I got banned from watching the news, which was probably quite a good thing. But if Mum had read Revelation 6, then an accurate answer would be to say, yes and no. Is the world ending? Well, yes and no, uh, is the answer of Revelation. Uh, it is ending, but not quite now. The world is drawing to a close. We live in the last days and the question being asked here is what are you going to do? How are you going to face it? Uh, way back when, uh, 1987, R.E.M. Uh, had a song, uh, it had the chorus, it's the end of the world, uh, you, you've probably heard it, it's the end of the world uh, and I feel fine. Uh, is it just a song? Is it just a catchy chorus? Uh, is it something you can only say if you're completely ignorant or trying to ignore uh, everything that's going on, can you actually face the coming of the end of the world and truly feel fine? Is that possible? Well, Revelation 6 again says yes. And what's more, they show us how. It is the end of the world and we can feel fine and Revelation 6 and 7 are going to show us why. So let's jump in. Uh, we pick up right where we left off last week. Uh, John has seen God on his throne. He has seen the Lamb uh, worthy to stand there and worthy to take the scroll from God's hand and unfold God's plan of, uh, of history. And that's exactly what he does in these verses. He, he opens the seal, seal by seal, and with each uh, opening we gain, gain an insight into what history is going to look like. Uh, follow, I won't read the verses but follow through chapter 6 with me. Uh, the lamb opens the first seal and the white horse comes forth. Uh, white symbolises triumph, conquest, uh, victory and warfare. Uh, this, this rider is powerful but all his power, all his authority is not of his own. It, it's given to him. The crown is given. His authority is derived from the lamb. The second seal is open. We see the second horse, the red horse, come forth. Red symbolising violence and bloodshed. Now this is not uh, all out war that we're seeing here but this is, this is violence. This rider can take peace from the earth so that man will kill man. The third seal is opened and the black horse comes forth. Black symbolising famine uh, and poverty confirmed by the fact that this rider holds scales to, to measure and to ration out food. Uh, commodities like wheat and barley, a day's pay will only pay for a day's food. That's how expensive it will get. But in that, the luxuries, oil and wine, are untouched. And so we possibly got a picture here of great economic inequality and injustice as well. The fourth seal is open and now a pale horse comes forth uh, Pale is in kind of sickly green or that, that kind of ashen grey that a, an ill person takes on uh, because this rider symbolises that, illness and death. It's confirmed by the fact that Hades, that is the grave, follows this horse. Death is coming, 
all of these, these punishments, all of these tragedies described in these horses are, are gathered here in this last one. This is a time of death and of famine and of sword and plague and it is going to stretch to a fourth of the earth will be touched by this. That's the end of the riders. We come to the fifth seal and the fifth seal shows us a picture of persecution, of souls, uh, of, of believers gathered under or before the altar of God in heaven and together they are there crying out for justice. Uh, these are those who have died for their faith, who have witnessed to Jesus and suffered for it. Uh, it's a picture of martyrdom, clearly, but probably also a picture of all of those who have suffered for their faith, who have paid the cost of calling Jesus their Lord. They cry out for justice because for no other reason other than their love for Jesus, they have suffered and even been killed. And they call out to God, make right this wrong. Give justice for what has been done. And the answer that comes from the throne is yes, but not yet. It's coming, it is certainly coming, justice is on the way, but not right now. Be patient and wait. Wait until all is completed. And actually that answer tells us what to do with these horses, what to do with these, these disasters, these four horsemen of the apocalypse. It actually answers the question for us, when is all this happening? When is all of this going to take place? Has it happened? Is it happening now? Is it yet to come in the future? Well, we have the answer here. Uh, despite what some people would claim, the book of Revelation is not a chronological book. Uh, we don't have here a description of history from you know, the, the year 100 when it was written approximately through to whenever Jesus comes back. Uh, this is not an order of disasters as they're going to unfold in our time or maybe in another time. That's not how Revelation works. What we actually have in the book of Revelation is a series of cycles and each cycle encapsulates all of the time between Jesus' two comings. And so they actually describe the same time in history over and over again. And what we're dealing with this morning is the first of those cycles, the seven seals. Uh, in coming weeks we'll look at the seven trumpets and the seven bowls, also which describe all of history. See, what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is uh, revealing for us here is our time. He's saying, this is now. These seals describe your day, John's time, our time, and time to come until Jesus returns again. And what he's saying is all of this time is going to look like this. It's going to look like war and violence. It's going to look like hardship and death and persecution. It will not be every single place all the time, but it will be present. It will happen until he comes again. This is a picture of what the world will look like. The four horsemen riding their woes to bring upon the earth. But not only does Jesus know this, he, the lamb, is in control. He's the one who's revealing this, he's the one who's unveiling this, opening the seals. And not only that, he's the one who's enacting God's plan here. He's the one who's putting it into practice and bringing it about. As shocking as it sounds, Jesus is the one unleashing these riders on the earth. He is allowing their influence why? Both for the punishment of mankind, for their rebellion and sin, but also to get their attention. 
Uh, maybe I can illustrate. I, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when you talk to kids, you have different voices, don't you? you? Like You have different voices depending on the situation and particularly when your kids are in trouble, you have a different voice. Uh, there's the, I disapprove of your behaviour but I'm sitting on the couch, I can't be bothered getting up and doing anything about it voice. Uh, I'm quite adept at that one. Uh, it's, it's slightly raised but it's got that kind of I'm really not that interested note. Uh, then there's the, the kind of escalation that I really don't like what you're doing so stop voice. You know, that one's a bit firmer, it's maybe just a little bit louder. Then there's kind of, you know, the next level voice. The, your actions are putting yourself or others in danger, you need to stop right now voice. <laughs> this is the, you know, the, the blow is about to descend or the teeth are about to bite or the, the kid's going to run into traffic. You know, this voice is loud, uh, this voice is commanding, uh, this voice is shouted if needed. You know, you, you, you escalate to, depending on the situation. As the, the behaviour gets worse, so the voice... Uh, gets worse as well. And that's why Jesus is sending these punishments. That's why Jesus is allowing these disasters to come on the earth, terrible though they are, and they are awful. This is Jesus' loud voice. This is him shouting to humanity saying, you are in danger, you are in trouble, so listen. C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, there is a clear message that Jesus is shouting to the world in these horsemen. It is not only a punishment for sin, it is a warning for sinners. It is saying, listen, take note. Your actions have consequences, so repent. Seek God, seek his forgiveness or there is even worse judgment coming. Uh, you might recall, if you've read it recently, Jesus, uh, during Jesus' ministry on earth, uh, a tower in Jerusalem collapsed uh, and 18 people were killed in that disaster. Uh, and he was, he was talking about that at one point in his ministry and he said to his listeners, do you think they, that is those who died in that accident, do you think they were more guilty than all others living in Jerusalem? He said, do you think they deserved it more? That's why they got caught up in this. He says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. See, when we see the effect of these horsemen on the world, when we see violence and, and war and famine and disaster, the wrong reaction is to say, clearly they did something wrong, they're getting what they deserved. That's the wrong reaction. And to then go our merry way. Jesus says, no, that is what you all deserve. That is what you all deserve. All of that and more. So take warning. You've been despaired. So repent. Repent of your ways. And for those who do, who repent and trust in Jesus, the, this passage and these warnings here move from warnings to an assurance. Because this explains why our world is as it is. This war, the violence, the famine that, that you know, John prayed about in certain parts of the world that we see across the world in our day, all of that tells us that the end is here. It is a clear sign that we live in the last days, that the four horsemen are riding, which in turn is a clear sign that Jesus is in control. 
uh, world peace, the, the end of disease, those are good things for us to aim at and we should use what we have to promote those things. But they are not our hope because we have no promise that these things will disappear in our lifetime. Our hope is that Jesus reigns. Our hope is that the Lamb holds the scroll and that even the most terrible things that we see in the world around us, they are still under his control and within his power. And so when awful things happen, we're not dismayed by them. When, when wars and disasters come as they will, it doesn't shake, it doesn't challenge our belief in Jesus, neither in his existence nor in his goodness. You know, we don't find ourselves asking, you know, in light of this, uh, how could anyone believe in God? But instead, in light of this, how could we not believe in God? Because what would you rather? A world full of disasters with no one in control? Or even worse, with only us uh, in control? Or a world of disasters in which a good and loving and self-giving God is over all? Jesus rules and the presence of pain and suffering and their limitation are testimony to that fact. They are signs, they are his voice to us. The end is near. Be prepared. Because soon the sixth seal is going to be opened. Look at verse 12. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? See, the question of those who are beneath the altar, the question how long is answered here and the answer is not long. Not long. For the sixth seal will be opened and it will bring not just another disaster, it will bring the end of time. So that's what's being described here. It is not just another event and not just another calamity to fall upon the earth. This is the end of all things. God arrives and the universe is shaken. The earth trembles, the sun and the moon are extinguished, the stars fall from the sky and the earth splits. Everything on the face of the earth flees from his coming for the almighty and holy God has now stepped into creation himself. And all humanity sees that. From the rich and the powerful to the weak and the downtrodden, they see God come personally in all his glory and majesty and they flee in terror. Now if you notice that in those verses, they're not fleeing from the disasters that come, they are fleeing from God himself. Look at verse 16 again. Then they called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? 
See, God is here and his ultimate wrath against sin and rebellion is revealed. The wrath of the Lamb has come and it is too late for repentance. Who can stand in that day? Who can stand when he comes? Who? Well, chapter 7 tells us. Chapter 7 tells us because now John's, in, John's vision is, is somewhat interrupted and in fact time gets rewound for us and we step back to a time before all this destruction and hardship. Look at verses 1 to 3 with me. After this I saw four angels standing at the corners of the earth holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea, Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Before any of this can come to pass, before the four winds, probably the four horses uh, are unleashed, before pain and, and violence and persecution and famine descend on the world, God commands something truly remarkable. He says, you must go forth and you must seal my people. Uh, they, are, they are marked as his here. His, his seal, his mark, most likely his name is written on their foreheads, not in a way that's visible to them, but in a way that is visible to him and no less real for it. They are marked as belonging to him. Who gets that seal? Well, John hears. Look at verse 4. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben and Gad and Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph and Benjamin, 12,000 from each are marked as belonging to God. 144,000 in total. Now not as some believe, a, real no, a literal number, but a number that's symbolic. Revelation's full of symbols. We've seen that already. We'll continue to see that. And this number, no less. Uh, twelve in, in Revelation symbolises the fullness of God's people. It corresponds to the twelve tribes that originally made up God's people of Israel. Therefore, twelve by twelve, 144, uh, speaks of a fullness of a fullness. Uh, by 1,000, means lots and lots. So what we're being told in this number is this is a fullness of a fullness of lots and lots. This is, this is all. This is many. 144,000. And it's not limited to Jews. Neither is it limited to ethnic Israel. And John actually gives us some clues. Uh, if you're familiar with the tribes of Israel, you might have seen those already. First of all, the list of the tribes is not in order. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, Reuben is actually the oldest. He should be at the top of that list. But instead Judah is. Judah from whom the Messiah came, from Jesus. What's more, there's actually a tribe missing. I don't know if you noticed that either. Uh, Dan is not listed, one of the original 12 tribes. And instead Joseph is named, unusually. Uh, typically it's not Joseph, it's his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. But Manasseh's there, Ephraim's not. See, what John is saying is, there's a list of 12 here, it's not actually all of Israel. It's not literal Israel, this is all believers. 
And to confirm that to us, we see, we see what John sees. Uh, you might remember from last week, uh, what John see, uh, hears is confirmed by what he sees. Last week uh, he heard that the Lion of Judah was going to stand forth in heaven and yet when John looked, when he saw with his eyes, what did he see? He saw instead a lamb taking that place. See, what he heard with his ears was revealed fully in what he saw with his eyes and the same is here as it is uh, through Revelation. What he hears is revealed in what he sees. John hears 144,000 numbered and sealed. What does he see? Look at verse 9 and 10. After this I looked or saw and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, what John sees is a multitude, a a, a group far beyond number. 144,000 doesn't even come close. This this, This group is far beyond counting. It's not just from Israel, it is every nation and tribe and people and language and they are gathered there before the throne, dressed in white, holding palm branches and praising God. Who can stand the question of chapter 6, verse 17? Well, we're told here, look at verse 13. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. See, who can stand? Well, it's these. They can stand because they have been found not in rebellion but forgiven. They stand repentant and washed, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. See, the only way to stand, the only way to escape the wrath of the Lamb, to stand acquitted before the throne, is to be washed in the blood of Jesus. Uh, way back when I studied Macbeth in high school, it was compulsory, otherwise I wouldn't have done it, <laughs> probably. Uh, many of you probably also studied the same play. Uh, you might remember that in it, uh, Lady Macbeth murders her husband. Uh, she gets away with the crime, but she doesn't get away with a clean conscience uh, and it weighs on her and, and throughout the play. Uh, and Even though she's assumed innocent, that, that crime and that blood, it haunts her. And she's found... Uh, later in the play, even though her hands are physically clean, she's sleepwalking and she's uh, crying out in her sleep while she scrubs her hands constantly, out damned spot. The the blood of her husband, the the guilt of her crime, she she still sees it on her hands. She can't be rid of it. She's realised what we're being told here. There is no way to be clean of our crimes. Our rebellion, our rejection against God, all the crimes that we have committed against them, they are too great. We can't rub our hands clean. Those damned spots can't be scrubbed off. We are guilty and our guilt will kill us. It will expose us to the wrath of the Lamb, to absolute terror when he comes. Unless our souls are washed in the blood of the Lamb. It's a strange idea that you could wash something in blood and it would come out white and yet that is the only way. 
How do you get that washing? Well, it's simply by believing, by repenting of your rebellion and trusting in him. And then Jesus promises, if you do, you'll be washed. And being washed, as Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, rescues us from the coming wrath. His blood washes our guilt away. It purifies us, it dresses us in white and it allows us to stand here boldly and even gladly before God's throne in front of his very uh, presence praising him and celebrating what he has done. And that washing sticks. You You know the song, signed, sealed, delivered. That is true. Our robes will never be dirty because his blood washes all our sin away. Both path at both what we have done and what we will do. Our robes will never be taken from us, neither will we ever be taken from this place because God seals us. We are his. I read a few months ago about a new security system you can get for your car. Uh, it's, it's called MicroDots. You might have heard of it. It comes in a spray and you spray it on your car, on the, the motor, on the, the body, on the interior. Uh, you can't see it, but you can track it. Uh, if your car is stolen, you can, you can go online and you can trace your car and find it wherever it goes. And whoever takes your car, they can't grind these things off, they can't paint over them, they can't uh, even pull apart your car because you can track every single piece of it. It's all marked as yours by these, these micro dots. And so you are to God. You are marked. And whatever happens, you are still marked. If one of these disasters uh, named here overtakes you, you are still marked as his. If this persecution predicted claims you, you are still marked as his. Whatever your own mind says to you, whatever doubts, whatever fears, whatever accusations of the devil come to you, you are still marked as his forever. And you can stand and you will stand no matter what these last days bring even through the very judgment of God, even till the end of time. Because in Jesus, not only are you washed clean of your guilt, you are sealed for that day. And so the great vision of John that we saw last week of the throne room of God, it gains here a new detail. It gains a new tear in this grandstand of praise because joining the elders and the living creatures and the multitude of angels is now the saints. Is you and me gathered there and dressed in white, holding these branches of victory and peace, washed in the blood of the Lamb and sealed by God's Spirit, praising Him forever. See, if you have put your trust in Him, then you are pictured here. You actually get to play a character in the book of Revelation. This is you for all time. See, this is what we are about. We are about this glorious multitude praising our God forever. This is our end goal. This is what we aim for. This is what we look to. It's not just a picture for us to admire. This is a goal for us to strive to and cling on to. We don't look just to make it till the end. We don't look just to have a bigger or more comfortable Christianity or church until Jesus returns. Our goal, our aim is this. This picture right here. Souls, a multitude of souls gathered before God's throne. 
Our picture, our goal is a greater multitude, is more. Each other, Christians around the world we've never met. And what's more, our neighbours, our workmates, our friends, our family members gathered and standing here. This is what we want, isn't it? This is what we're looking for, to stand there not only with each other, as great as that will be, but with them too. Keep that in mind when you're sharing the gospel, when you're speaking about Jesus with your friends. You're not only doing that so they'll know him, so they'll join our church. You're doing that so that we can stand next to them forever in glory, praising God. See, this is what we're about. Uh, that's why we're numbered here as an army. I don't know if you notice that description. Uh, it's, it's kind of strange, isn't it? Of the 144,000, they're, they're named, uh, like in the New Old Testament, as, as an army, numbered as an army. And that's what we are. We're not here sitting about, hunkered down until Jesus comes again. We are his army, sent and commissioned for his work, God's agents to make this vision reality. We share his gospel, we announce his victory, we storm the very gates of hell itself to see souls saved, to see this multitude, the multitude no one can count. It's true the meantime is going to be tough. Our years are going to be filled with war and violence, with hardship, with persecution. But our future won't be. And our tomorrow will be better. Verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God will spread his care for all time over his people. Their hunger and thirst will be gone. Our affliction and pain will be ended once for all. The lamb himself will be our shepherd and he will lead us to living water that truly satisfies and God himself will wipe the tears from our eyes. It's the end of the world as we know it. We, we live in the last days. The four horsemen roam, their influence continues today under Jesus' authority still. Around the world the saints continue to be slain for their testimony. It's the end of the world but we are fine, both us and them for we are washed with Jesus' blood. This wrath is not for us, for we are sealed with his spirit. We will not be lost. We are destined for a better future, gathered together in this glorious multitude with family and long-lost friends and relatives, those we've loved, those we don't even know, brothers and sisters in Christ from around the world through time, those who trust already, those who are yet to come to faith, all will be here, in glory forever. This great multitude in praise to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. Uh, as John mentioned earlier, we're going to sing uh, a song written by a man uh, who knew much earthly hardship, who knew many earthly sorrows and yet in light of it all could write of the great peace and confidence that this very picture gives him. We're going to sing that, we're going to sing it standing and we'll stay standing for the close of our service. <laughs>